You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. I'm Pastor Bob, otherwise known as Short Timer. Lame, lame duck, who's still quacking, free agent, soon to be. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, what's in the future for Susan and I. I really hope that you can uh, be a part of our big celebration June 2nd, that dinner for, to me, it's a celebration of all that we've been able to do together in our life together, and so that's going to be fun. On May 31st, I get to throw out the first pitch for Schweitzer Night at Springfield Cardinals, among many other people that throw out the first pitch, but I'm really lobbying for the Springfield Cardinals, and I'm holding Jim Mason personally responsible for this to let my grandson, Oren, throw out the first pitch instead of me that night. So that's, that's the plan because the arm is just not what it used to be. And the 16th of June, Father's Day, will be my last Sunday with you. So, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to uh, mention was uh, in retirement, I've had a lot of different people give advice, as you can imagine. But uh, kind of my role model, good or bad, is, is Bill Montgomery. And uh, I love the story of Bill Montgomery when uh, Donna, his wife, asked him the question, Bill, what are you going to do today? And Bill says, nothing. And Donna says, well, that's what you did yesterday. And Bill said, yeah, but I wasn't done doing that yet. <laughs> so uh, that doesn't sound bad to me. Nothing. But one of the things that I seriously have been praying about and uh, a, a sign that I've had on my desk is a statement of Malcolm Muggeridge that few men of action have been able to make a graceful exit at the appropriate time. So I do thank you for the ways that you're helping us to make a graceful exit. It is, we believe, the right time. Today we're going to continue this series of messages on transition. And last week we looked at the story of the crossing of the river Jordan, after 430 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God dramatically led the people under Joshua's leadership across the river into the blessing and the land that had been promised them, the land that their great-great-great-great-grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, have lived centuries before. And we also talked about the dramatic ways in which God has led Schweitzer over 70 years in some significant river crossings and the way that God's hand has been on this congregation. Today, we're going to revisit that story on the day after it's happened as we primarily focus, focus on leadership, on godly leadership and the leadership that all of us can be a part of as we look forward to the future. So uh, hear the word of God from 
the fourth chapter of Joshua, beginning with verse 14. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord had said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho. It was at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we look at this text, the first verse is such a key, isn't it? That that day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. Now, one thing is for certain, Moses did not write that verse. Because if you're a student of the Bible, you know that the people didn't always revere Moses. Isn't it interesting as we look back on the good old days, how that somehow we forget some of the not so good stuff that happened in the good old days. Moses must have laughed out loud or rolled over in his grave when those words appeared that they revered Joshua as much as they had always revered Moses. Moses and the people didn't always get along. Do you recall in the story various times in those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? How that the people grumbled and complained and said, this Moses fella is going to lead us out here to die? I wish he'd have just left us alone. I wish he'd have just left us among the flesh pots of Egypt. We'd have been better off there. I mean, Moses got fed up with the people. There, were, there was even that time where Moses said, God, would you just kill me? <laughs> and then other times he'd pray, Lord, why don't you just kill them? And Moses wasn't perfect either. Moses had a temper. A time when he was called to strike the rocks so that the water would flow from it. He struck it more than once in his anger. 
because he was calling attention to himself and not to God, he didn't get to cross over the river himself. But the worst time in their time together was that time when Moses was up the mountain to receive the commandments from God. And the people said, this Moses fellow, he's been gone a long time. I don't think he's coming back. So let's just go ahead and make our own God. And they fashioned a golden calf. And they went to revelry and partying and, uh, partying and all kinds of different immoral acts. And Moses came back to the camp. Broke his heart. Broke the heart of God. Moses literally broke the commandments, those stone tablets. And the golden calf had to go. Had to go. <laughs> You know, last week we talked about how sacred cows need to go. Sacred cows are just a step down from golden calves. That sometimes we can worship things in the past. Sometimes we can think, well, those programs or those methods or those processes, they worked back then. So in the future, there's always going to have to be some, some letting go and breaking free. And we've got to watch out for those golden calves anything we worship in the place of God. So I don't want to draw too much of attention between me and Moses. After all, I've only led you just shy of 20 years, not 40 years. And I'm not dead yet. And I don't talk to God face to face. But I do value intimacy with God. And I do want to talk with you about the importance of transition. And one of the things that really strikes me about this is that the transition between Moses and Joshua seems almost seamless. That's, that's a real testimony. And my desire and our desire here is that, that the passing of the baton... Uh, from Bob to Spencer is more than just from Bob to Spencer. But as you're holding that baton and you're praying over that baton this morning, we're all, we've all got a part of that to assure that what God has been doing and is doing will continue to happen in this place. And I'm grateful that I get to hand off the baton to someone like Spencer Smith. Spencer Smith was our youth director uh, several years ago when two of our children, Alexandra and Jonathan, were in the youth group, and Spencer took them on a mission trip to Mexico, and it was, it was a, a challenging trip, but it was a life-changing experience for our two children under his leadership. We'll always be grateful for that. And uh, when I told uh, Alexandra and, and Jonathan who was coming, they were so excited about, uh, about that future for Schweitzer. Uh, Spencer and I have some similarities. Uh, we both married up. Uh, 
Spencer's wife, Abby, is a delightful person. She's warm-hearted, a great person of faith. You're going to really enjoy getting to know her and, and their three children. Spencer and I both are, are rather quiet and thoughtful at times. We, we need some space to do that. And we, we both value visionary leadership and preaching the Word. In fact, I'd like to invite you to watch uh, what Spencer has to say about the importance of preaching the Word of God. Let's, let's watch. What do you like the most about ministry? What really uh, turns you uh, on uh, spiritually, or when do you feel most alive when you're doing those things? Well, the ministry of the Word is the thing that I, I love the most. And so when I can teach people the Scripture, I feel like that's my primary calling, is to teach people how to trust God through the Bible. And uh, Eugene Peterson talks about how every pastor has one sermon. My one sermon is trust God. With every aspect of your life, just trust God. So I want to teach people, this is my own heart, I want, I want people to know the Word, I want people to know how to read the Word, I want people to know how to dive into that, to chew on that, to, to live that in their life, to apply it to their life. So when I see people, especially people who are, who are new or don't have experience with the Scripture, starting to engage God through, through the Word of God, I just I think that's the best thing I can possibly see. When I see people get involved in Bible studies and any sort of hunger in that way, I just think is, is just incredible as they're learning how to I can, God, I can take God at His word because He's trustworthy. And the only way you learn God is trustworthy, I think, is through the word. When you start to see how, how reliable the word of God is. I can see you just come more alive as you talk about that. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Well, Susan and I are real excited about you guys coming on. And uh, I'm just saying, uh, go God, go Schweitzer, go Spencer, and go Cardinals. Go Royals. <laughs> Good? Nobody's perfect. Now don't tell Spencer this, but there's several different places in my office as I'm clearing out the drawers. I'm leaving cardinal paraphernalia with little notes that say you really need to be a cardinal fan. Looking forward to him seeing that. So, um, what is it about leadership? What really matters? What's the essential qualities? You know, I've gone to different seminars and sessions, and my colleague Gary Griffin sitting there, and, and uh, he started the ministry a few years before I did and retired a few years before I did. And I wish a few years older than I am, and you are a Royals fan. So, but other than that, you're good. But, but so many binders, so many binders, and so many seminars, and so many sessions. And I've got uh, rows and rows of books on leadership. And what does it really matter? What, what, what is the, the essential thing about leadership? I think about uh, Jane and Sean uh, Markin heading out in their new appointment, and Jeff and Jamie Fugit and uh, leading the way there at Cassville. What is it that we really have to have? What's essential? And if I could just uh, narrow it down to one word, it'd be godly. Godly leadership. What does that matter? What does that mean? 
At Schweitzer, we talk a lot about leaders needing the C's of competence. We want people to be competent, obviously, in, in what they do. We want people to have high capacity, more uh, potential for growth. And we want people to be able to have good chemistry with other people and to work well with other people. We want people to collaborate well. But character, character matters. Christ-like, godly character. And if we don't have that in a leader, if I don't have that as a leader, then it doesn't matter all the other ways in which I'm gifted, I can do great harm. And not good if I don't have godly character. That's a non-negotiable. That's a non-starter. And so that's, that's what we look for. And with that sense of, of leadership then, we, we give that person authority. Not an authority in which it is blind. Not an authority in which they don't have accountability. In fact, we want to hold our leaders accountable, not to our personal preferences, not to the way that we've always done it before, not to our own personal opinions, but to the mission, to the mission of the church, to transform lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's what's critically important. And if the leader is holding us to that and leading us to that with an intimacy and a desire to know God themselves, there's going to be wrinkles. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be times when the relationship is tested. But we will be just fine godly leadership and that's what joshua had that's what moses had and that's why in spite of all the issues and problems and struggles people moved across the river and they kept moving forward joshua got that authority from god we read that in the beginning of a story where well, he, 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 he pointed to the people. What do these stones mean? And he, he said to them that when your children ask the question, you will tell them. You will tell them that they've got to cross, that when they cross the river, God caused the water to stand up and for you to go on dry ground. And then he said he did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So Joshua was the leader who was pointing people to God. He didn't point them to himself. He didn't, he didn't point them to Moses. He didn't appoint them to any human authority, but as a human being in human frailty, with human flaws, he pointed them to God. And that's where the favor of God and the authority of God rested on him. For in the beginning of the story of Joshua, we read that God came to Joshua and he said, the time has come for you to lead the people. This is my command. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the story of Joshua ends in the 24th chapter of Joshua, where he's saying the same thing when he leaves. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what godly leadership is. That's what it is in a nutshell. And if you've got that and we've got that, then life is good. Spencer Smith is a godly leader and you will be blessed. Godly leadership isn't about the position you hold, but it's the position that God holds in your heart. You may want to write that down. It isn't about the position. It isn't about the title. It's about where God is in my heart. Is God first place? And if God is there, then, then I'm, I'm going to be walking in the authority of God. You can walk in the authority of God. It's not about being in a position of anything in terms of what you hold in society or culture or even in the church. For God needs many godly leaders all among us. I just ask you, put God first. It's not about the position you hold. It's the position that God holds in your heart. And so as we move forward, I intend for God to be first place in my life as he is right now. I expect God to be using me in the future. I don't know what that future is going to hold. But I know uh, he's got me. And I want to follow so as we do this, um, godly leaders are not the kind of people that rest on their laurels. They're, they're not the kind of people that rest on the achievements of the past. They're not the kind of people who uh, are living on yesterday's manna. Because every day God gives us daily bread. But godly leaders know and experience is that God's got fresh encounters for us. The Holy Spirit has new things to open up for all of us. And no matter how old we are or how long we have walked with God, we cannot live in the past. We have got to live today. And we need our daily bread today as we move forward in seeking fresh encounters with God. And as we do this, I want to lift up to you the three general rules of the church, which has served the Methodists well from the very beginning. We can't improve on them that no one is above the rules. And here are the rules. Do no harm. 
Do not harm people with your conduct, your words, or anything you might say. Do good. Do good in all the places and all the ways and all the times that you possibly can, as long as you possibly can. And practice the spiritual practices so that you might stay in love with God. That's what it means to look forward and move forward in faith. Let's look at those words of Joshua one final time. In fact, will you stand with me? Will you say these words together? And after we say these words together, we're going to sing some hymns. We're going to sing some songs. And we're going to worship God. Say it with me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.